Hey, good morning. Awesome. Let's turn to Genesis 35, please. One of the one of the biggest issues about all this is, <clears throat> you might say, one of the bottom lines of all this is the right. <clears throat> excuse me, the right of the nation of Israel to exist. Israel, I've seen it in my lifetime, Israel has tried to make peace over and over and over again. And the, there's been a complete refusal because they do not believe that Israel has a right to exist. That's the bottom line of all this, over and over again. But as we see here in the, in the foundational chapters of the book of Genesis, the, this is God's establishment of a nation and of a people and of a land. And God established this. This is the promises. And we're going to even see in chapter 35, the section we look at, that God repeats these promises again as he does over and over again. <clears throat> so Genesis 35, last time we looked at... Uh, Jacob, uh, first of all, he ran from Esau. His brother said he was going to kill him because he, he took his birthright. He took his blessing. And 20 years later, he comes back. He's running from Laban. He's kind of always on the run, this guy. And we see him. He's then wrestling with God, and God kind of breaks him. But after he gets broken, there's something about it. It, it says that he would not let go. He would not let go of God. He held on to God with everything that he had. And, and he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me and take care of me. And God, God changes his name. He, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, kind of like from, from heel catcher to God rules is one of the translations of that. And he calls God his God. Remember way back, uh, he said, you know, if God will do this and if God will do that, then God will be my God. God promised those things already, most of them anyways. Anyways, here in chapter 35 now, <clears throat> this is about 10 years after he returned back to uh, the land of Israel. Uh, it wasn't called the land of Israel at that point, but the land that God had given them. And, and he, re he returned back. He this is about, again, 10 years after he had had this time of wrestling with God and, and being broken by God. And it's kind of interesting what God says to him, as we'll see. But it appears that he's not, he's not keeping that vow. He says, if God, if you will do this, then I will do this. And this is like 30 years later. He, he was gone 20 years. And this is like about 10 years later after he came back. And he, he kind of had wandered off on, on his own. He's not holding on so tightly as he was at that time of wrestling with God. He's kind of let things go, it appears. One commentator, a Scottish Baptist minister from the late 1800s, he said this. He, said it, he called it a forgotten vow. And that he settled in Shechem and he bought land there and he forgot all about Bethel. And he said, we're apt to forget vows when God has fulfilled his side of them. He said, resolutions made in times of trouble are soon forgotten. 
One of the things we saw back in that vow back in chapter 28 was that if we make a vow to God, we need to keep it. If we make a vow, we need to keep it. So I've called this message back to Bethel and and really what he's doing, he's going back to this place. God's calling him back to this place where he first heard from God. Get back to the place where God spoke to him. Return to the Lord, and and I've got a bunch of R words that that we'll look at at the very end, this idea of return and repentance and reestablish, restoration, renewal, and revival. So chapter 35, verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, interesting, he calls him Jacob. He had already told him his name was going to be Israel, but he calls him Jacob. Why? Because that's kind of where he was still. At this point, anyways, he says, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing, when you were on the run from your brother Esau. Go back to Bethel, go up to Bethel and settle there, build an altar there, go back to what you had there when when God spoke to him. He was listening back then. It's like back getting back to worship, getting back to that place that he had. I want to challenge each one of us, what is the place that we have in our spiritual lives right now? Is there there a sense that you and I, we need to get back to where we were, to where that place where God spoke to us, where, where God met us on the road? I go back to San Diego from time to time, and, and, and I will go back. And it's, it's kind of weird, I guess, but maybe, I don't know if you do this, but if you go back to where you grew up and you drive back to the old neighborhood, you ever, anybody else do that? And you kind of drive by there, and I, I drive by the, the house where I grew up, and, and, uh, and it's like this memories there, like what, what happened in your life back there. Uh, in the, in the concrete in front of the, it's a, not a very big house, but in the concrete in front of the house there, there's uh, handprints with our names, all the kids' names under them. It's still there. They never tore it up or anything. I haven't actually gone to meet the people. I just kind of look like they'd probably call the cops on me. You know, I'm taking pictures of the house, and I'm, you know, looking at the handprints in front of the house and that. But the, this idea of going back to this place where, where the memories are, going back to this relationship where God met Jacob on the road, getting back to what you knew, what God had spoken. This is the idea that I see here that I want to bring out here in this section of of Genesis 35. So verse 2, Jacob responds to this call, and it's interesting what he does. The first thing he does in in verse 2, it says, So Jacob said, to his household, and to all who were with him. He's talking to his family, his household, and also to all the others that were with him. What does he say? He says, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. What's the first thing he do? He says, you know what? We need to get right, so we need to get rid of the garbage. I, I see this and I know that it happens in our lives where the reason that, you know, we, we kind of drift away and the, the book of Hebrews talks about it being a drift. It's not, uh, you know, I'm going to go away from the Lord now. 
No, it's this gradual drifting that, that takes place. But then we start to replace God with all the, the, the things, the household gods, the, the gods of this world. And it happens. And you and I, sometimes we need to take stock and we need to get rid of this stuff. We need to clean house. What is it that's really important to you? What are the things that are most important to you? You know, I, I watch football. I love football. I watch it. But I look at this. I look at sometimes we see the stadiums. There's like 60 to 80,000 people there cheering and chanting and, and going nuts. For what? A little piece of, is it pigskin? Getting thrown around and guys beating each other up. And, and, and that's like the most exciting thing of their week. You know, the gods of this world, you know, what, what do we really worship? What, what has our hearts? He says, where, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, Jesus said. Is it the things of this world? Is it the money? Is it the power, the stuff that we can have, the, the possessions, the pleasure of this world? Is that what really drives us? That's what the most important thing is of us, for us. Maybe it's, maybe it's social media. I heard about somebody who was really depressed, and I said, why are they so depressed? Well, they're watching news 24-7. Retired person. Watching news 24-7. I don't care if it's Fox News or whatever news it is. You, you know, that's not going to feed your spirit. That's not... That's a, that's a foreign, worldly, household thing. Household God. What about pornography? That's huge right now, you know. And it's, it's destroying people. It's destroying lives. Some of the occult stuff. Our, our society is full of this stuff. We don't even call it occult stuff anymore. It's just our society. Raunchy movies. I could make, you know, go on with this. this raunchy music that that we, we allow into our, our own hearts and lives. We need to, we need to be, pay attention, to, to be on our alert. What are we allowing in? What is it we're watching into the gates of our eyes and the gates of our ears? He says, get rid of that stuff. He talks to his household. Get, he says, purify yourselves. Verse 3, he says, then... Then come and let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. God did what God said he would do. He told him, I will be with you. And sure enough, that's what God did. God will always keep his promises. He says, so let's go up there. We, we, we cleaned house. Or we're going to clean house and then we'll go up. Verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods. They had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. That's kind of interesting. He buries these things. Get rid of them. Bury them. I remember reading in the book of Acts where, you know, they had a whole bunch of occultic stuff, and, they, and it was worth lots and lots of money, and they, they brought it to the leaders, and what did they do then? They burn the stuff. We've got to get this stuff out. We've got to get rid of it. We can't. This is keeping us from what God has for us in our lives. So they buried these things. Verse 5. And then they set out. 
And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. God saw, God saw what they did, the hearts of these people to get right. And he sent them protection. You see, there were some threats at the time. If you read the previous chapter, you know, they got themselves into some hot water with a bunch of peoples around them. But God, he sent, he sent his protection. The terror of God fell upon all the towns around them. Why? Because they wanted to do the right thing. Because they cleaned up their act. They, they said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow after God. One of the scriptures I read recently says that uh, Paul said to train yourselves to be godly. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to work at it. We have to make choices. So verse 6, it says, So Jacob and all the people with him, they came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. He got to the place, they got there, and he built this altar, and, and he knows this is where God had met him many, many years ago, where God had revealed himself to him, where he had this, uh, you know, revelation is another form of that word, of God in his life where he met with the living God, where God met with him. And he, and he said, let's, you know, get, let's get back to that place. And so he got there and he built this altar. Because, why? Because it was there that God revealed himself to him. Verse 8, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it was called Alon Bakuth which means the oak of weeping. In verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padanaram, God appeared to him again. God appeared to him again and blessed him. I like that. God appeared to him again. Why? What, what's happening? Let's pay attention to the context here. What's happening? God says, you, know, you need to go back to Bethel. And, and then they clear house, they clean house, they get rid of some stuff, they take the steps needed, necessary to get back there. He, he builds this altar, and it says God appears to him again. And God blesses him. You know, we, we pray, we want the blessing of God, we want to meet with God, but, you know, we're not doing anything. We're not, we don't have that place, that Bethel in our own lives. We're not, we haven't gone back there, we haven't, you know, met in that place again. But I like, it. I like this for, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's not a one-time thing. Meeting with God and God, and God is showing himself to us is not a one-time thing that God is never going to show himself to you. Now, on the other hand, it's not also every second. I get kind of annoyed with people who say, well, God told me this yesterday, and then today he told me this. And, and pretty soon you think like, what is this? You know, are you like wired in or something? You have this hotline? It's not, you, even with the, the saints of old, it wasn't like that. It was when God knew he needed to speak to them and, and show himself to them, he would. But we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't have to have, you know, this overwhelming sense of, of the presence of God every second to just survive. But God does show himself to us. I believe that. What does the scripture say? Seek me what? 
and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. There was a kind of a confirmation of what God had spoken. Look at verse 10. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. It's kind of, he had said the same thing. Again, it's about 10 years or so previously. But it's a confirmation, again, a repetition, a reminder of what God had spoken. And you and I, you know, I hate to say it, but we need to be reminded. We need to have things repeated. That's how you learn, right? By repetition. And, and Peter talked about, he says, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I've already said these things to you before, but I need to say them to you again. And Jacob needed that as well. He said, listen, I, your name is Jacob, but you are going to be called Israel. It's kind of a confirmation of who he was, who he is, what God had called him to be. Maybe he'd been wandering a bit. Maybe he'd, he'd left behind uh, this important relationship with God. But, but God said, listen, this is who you are. This is who I have made you to be. And maybe you and I need those reminders from time to time. Listen, you are one of mine. You belong to me. You do not belong to the world. You belong to me. And I want you, and I, and I want you to live for me. Look what he says in the next verse. <clears throat> he says, And God said to him, one of the things God said, I'm sure he said more than this, but he said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. That's pretty clear to me. But notice, notice he starts off with this idea, this, this uh, statement. He says, I am God Almighty. The, the Hebrew words El Shaddai, this word of speaking of power, of strength. <clears throat> I've given you the land. I gave it to Abraham, I gave it to Isaac, the country, the nation that will come from you. This idea of El Shaddai, we've seen it a couple of times already here in the book of Genesis in chapter 17. It says when, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, never too old for God to appear to you and speak to you. He says, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. He said, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. He says, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. The powerful one, the, power, the almighty God. In chapter 28, we saw it again as well. In verse 3, the blessing that Isaac had for him before he left to go to the land of his mother and Laban, his mother's brother. And God, uh, uh, Isaac said this, May God Almighty bless you 
May El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. He goes on and gives them the promises again as well. We're not talking just about politics here. We're not talking just about, you know, some kind of social club here. We're talking about El Shaddai, the almighty God who had a plan and a purpose for Jacob, for the land, but he has a plan and a purpose for you and me as well. I think we need to recognize who he is. If we don't, if we don't what kind of relationship are we going to have? What kind of walk are we going to have if we don't realize that he is the almighty God? We're just going to do our own thing. Walk before me and be blameless, he told Abraham. Pay attention to your life. Verse 13, back in chapter 35, and then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured out oil on it, And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. God went up from him. What did did he do? He he set up this memorial stone. Where is it here? Set up this memorial stone. A memorial stone was basically a a reminder, a a memorial to remember. And what what was he wanting to remember? And what was he setting this up to remind him and others of is, is the fact that God had met with him there, that God had talked with him there. Just in this chapter alone, uh, it says that God had appeared to him, that God had answered him, verse 3. God had revealed himself to him, verse 7. And then in verse 9, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And now here in verses 13 and 15, it says that God talked with him, that God talked with him. Do you, do you kind of get that when I say those words? God talked with this man, Jacob. God talks with people. And God talks with you and me. But we'll never hear him if we're never listening. If we never take the time to have that place where we listen and, God, what are you trying to say? What are you saying to me? You will never hear the voice of God. People say, I never hear the voice of God. Well, do you ever ask him to speak to you? Do you ever take time to listen? Do you ever open up the Bible, his word, that that he will speak to you through? He sets up this memorial stone to remember what? Maybe maybe for you and for me, it's like, well, God spoke to me way, way back when. But what about now? Do we need to get get back to that place, that, that place of, of remembrance, that where we set that memorial stone, where you go back to that, to that place of Bethel, and that's what God said, go back, go up to Bethel. That place where there was relationship, that, where there was this fellowship with God, where there was communication with God. I think that, as believers, is, is what we want, isn't it? You want to have relationship with Him. You want to have fellowship with God, and you want to have communication with him. But maybe there are things in the way, just like there were. Warren Wiersbe says this, and I want to ask the question, where is your Bethel? Maybe it's 
some place that, that you meet with God? Do you have a Bethel? And Warren Wearsby said this. He said, it's good for believers to have a Bethel, a place where we meet God in a serious way. I talk about this a lot because I think it's so hugely important, a place of devotion, a place where you meet with God on a daily basis. It is, I hate to say this because I want you to come here, but it's not here. Now, there may be times when God speaks to you here and you go, wow, God spoke to me and I hear that. People say, did, did someone tell you about me and my situation? And I say, no, I have no idea. I'm just, I'm just called to speak and preach the word and, and, and God's word will speak. But you know what? It has to be more than that. It has got to be more than that. You have to have a place where you meet with God. When... when when he met with God in this place of Bethel the first time, he, it says he was there, he was alone. Do you have that place? I have that place. My wife has that place. I see her there. She sees me in my place. I close my door, she's out there, and we have our own place where we meet, where I meet with God. I, I open his word. I talk to him I, and, and, and with it about the troubles and the things of this life and this world and the things that we face. Another Bible teacher, his name is Larry Richards, he said this, like Jacob, we need a time and a place set aside to meet with God and we need to settle there. Like it says here in this chapter, to be consistent in keeping a daily appointment with the Lord. We had uh, at, our, at one of our huddles that we had a, a pastor, his name is Lloyd Pulley from New Jersey. And I remember him, you know, and being a pastor, you can, you can get caught up, you know, you study the Bible all the time, right? And you're always, you know, wanting to learn and, 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 and make notes and stuff that you can speak to the people and all the rest of it. But he said, you know what, that, that is not, that's not, a time of devotion. That's not my time with God. He says, I have my own time. And, 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 and even when there's a temptation to take that and to bring it to the people, and maybe some of that will come out of your own devotion. But he said, you know what? My time is my time with God, and it is non-negotiable. I never forget that. It is non-negotiable that you have a time that you spend with God each and every day. It's, it, you know, there's so many other things Football games, you know, you know, uh, I got to check my email. Oh, I just got a text message. All, all this stuff that comes and take, takes the place of meeting with God. You know, you'll never grow if you don't have a time with God every day. You will never grow. Never. It's not possible. The truth is, and I, I've heard people say it recently over and over again, that a strong believer is one who has a consistent meeting with God on a daily basis. It's the only way. There's no other way. No other way. In the letters to the churches in, in the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus, what, what did he say? He says that they left their first love. 
And what did he say for them to do? He says to remember and to repent. And do the things you did at first. Get back to what you used to do. We need that from time to time. We need it. He said the same thing to the, to the people in Sardis. Remember and repent. So, I want to look at those words for a second and, and just talk about them for a second as we kind of wrap this up, this idea of getting back to Bethel. Where is your Bethel? This idea of returning, and this is what we see here in, the, here in this chapter. The, the idea of return is to go back, back to that place, wherever that is for you, and be consistent and, and make, it, make it your own. The second word is repentance, and I think this word gets a bad rap, to be honest with you. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is actually a beautiful word because what it technically means is to change direction, to change direction to, to, to a direction that is facing God. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful picture of repentance. To turn away from this direction you're going and face the Almighty God, the, the El Shaddai that we see here in this chapter. Return, repentance, Reestablish, get back to where we were before. Reestablish that time, that walk, that life. Restoration. That's a beautiful word as well, isn't it? Restoration, to have that restored relationship. Renewal, where we get that new hope and that new joy and that new life. And I think what comes out of it is revival. That's where revival is. It's, it, it starts on a one-person one basis. It starts with me and my relationship with God. It's not you know, a gigantic meeting thing that happens. It starts with somebody, a person, a personal relationship with God. Revival. What's your Bethel? Do you have one? Well, maybe you need to establish one. Maybe you need to get one and say, you know what? If that's what God wants, then that's what I'm going to do. If he really is El Shaddai and that's what he wants, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, but I might miss the latest, you know, episode of how the stomach turns. (laughs) Or, you know, I might not be able to, you know catch up with this particular thing or, or go out and do this or go out and do that. You know what? None of those things really matter in the end. What matters is, is my life, my walk, my relationship with God. And from there, the blessings come. It says God appeared. He went back, right? It went, he went back. He did what God said. He got there. He built this altar. And God appeared to him again. And God blessed him. That's, that's available to you and to me today as well. Amen? Amen. And let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It is living and active and powerful. And you speak to our, our hearts today. And, and even as I have been studying this passage, Lord, you have...
opened up my eyes to different things about what you want to do in my life and where the power is and where, where the strength is, where the blessings are. And that it's right and good and pleasing to you to have that place. And as Pastor Lloyd said, it's non-negotiable. Father, bring us to that place where the, it's not negotiable. All this other stuff is negotiable, but, but our walk with you is, is, it's number one. It's got to be. I pray for your people here today, Lord, each one, maybe others that are listening, and maybe, maybe we need to, to return, change direction, get our lives right and straight. Maybe we need to start something new. Maybe we need to find that 10 minutes a day where we can stop and say, God, I'm here to meet with you. Father God, we we bow ourselves at your throne, El Shaddai, the all-powerful, almighty God. We ask you to help us, each one. We do pray you would also work in this church, Lord, to, to do what you called us to do as a body, to encourage one another, to help each other down this path, this road, this journey that we're on. pray too as well for any maybe who have never surrendered to Jesus maybe today is a good day for you to bow before him and say yes surrender and say yes to Jesus Christ that he would be Lord of your life that he would be your savior that he would do a work in you that people would not be able to even believe I know it's true. He can do it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?